Okay, so thank you everyone for hanging in for the last presentation. And I wanna thank Professor Dave G and Claire and all the presenters for all the wonderful conversations. It's been really rich and I've learned a lot. Um, so my talk today is a short synopsis or a preview of my forthcoming book, Insecurities of Expulsion, Race, Violence, Citizenship, and Afro-Asian Entanglements in Transregional Uganda. I make three major contributions in this book, which I'd like to discuss today. First, I rework popular Western liberal and illiberal imaginaries and scholarly understandings of the 72 Asian expulsion by resituating the expulsion as a global critical event. And I'll explain what I mean by this in a moment. My second intervention is to argue that by recontextualizing expulsion in this way, we are better able to track and trace what I call the insecurities of expulsion, a concept that I use to denote the unresolved nature of expulsion and its lingering effects, both in Uganda and across the transregional, imperial and sub-imperial geographies that continue to inform nation and state building projects in Uganda today. So in effect, I recenter contemporary Uganda in conversations about the shifting nature of empire within a kind of contemporary ethnographic framework. <clears throat> I'm actually interested in three dimensions of insecurities of expulsion. First, it's effects and it's affects. Um, by effects, I mean uh, political and racialized insecurities, but also the gendered and sexualized domains of those insecurities. Um, the circulating imaginaries, memories, and meaning making that surround the expulsion event and finally, the practices and performances of Ugandan Asian and South Asian citizenship that have flourished after the expulsion. And we can also know, uh, talk a little bit more about the categories that I'm using um, in this research later on. The final contribution of my book is to frame my interventions in relation to my concerns with conventional disciplinary knowledge formations in the university um, and making legible and accessible the study of global Afro-Asian encounters, especially in Africa, South Asia, and the Indian Ocean world, but their connections to North America and Europe as well. Building on decolonizing currents in the discipline of anthropology and student movements around the material and epistemological decolonization of the university, I argue for an anthropology of Afro-Asian entanglements that is concerned with key thematics of Afro-Asian study indeed to really think through the contemporary relevance of the 72 ex Asian expulsion and related topics. So in his own research, Edgar Taylor has argued that the expulsion has been framed in singular and totalizing ways that include complex and contested histories, practices, and imaginaries of national citizenship and belonging in the pre-expulsion period. Expulsion is a rupture and it reifies a sense of closure around multiracial or non-racial possibility in the post-colony. Here, the figure of the Asian is unassimilable, foreign, and culturally and racially other to the nation, especially within Ugandan historiography. I build on Taylor's interventions to argue that conventional scholarly rep representations of expulsion as a totalizing rupture also create met methodological problems for anthropologists and others working on contemporary Uganda. A sense of post-colonial closure surrounds the question and issues of South Asian presence 
and the ongoing politics and practices of race making, nation state building, citizenship and belonging, even in the post expulsion years. In fact, much of the ethnographic research producing post expulsion years in the context of civil war uh, in Uganda often mobilizes the ethnicity paradigm rather than an analytic of race and racial formation. Here I'm following anthropologist Jamima Pierre's arguments about the lack of race analysis often found in knowledge production on Africa and Africans, despite the implicit racialization of African studies as a field of study and the racialization of Africa itself as a subject and object of study. The expulsion coupled with a sense of de-Indianization in the post-expulsion years and the rise of this ethnicity paradigm, methodological nationalisms, all of this means that as researchers and scholars, we can wittingly or unwittingly reproduce racial nationalisms or nativism in our own writing. Moreover, exceptionalized representations of the expulsion in which it is divorced from broader Ugandan histories and presence means that it's usually discussed with respect to either Ugandan Asian history or South Asia diaspora studies. And so I would argue that in some ways the expulsion um, uh, is, tends to be racial, racially exceptionalized. So insecurities of expulsion takes a different approach. Although expulsions are by no means exceptional as we've been talking about today um, in decolonizing Africa or even if we think about neoliberal Africa or the global South, um, I argue that this expulsion is an example of what Vina Das has described in the context of post-colonial and post-partitioned South Asia as a critical event. Das argues that critical events institute new modalities of historical action and new modes of action come into being which redefine traditional categories such as codes of purity and honor, the meaning of martyrdom, the construction of a heroic life. While Das uses the concept of the critical event with respect to communal violence, um, genocidal acts and, and pogroms in the, post, in the partition era, and not settler indigenous relations, I find her analytic useful and builds on her theorizations of violence, critical events, and the everyday to resituate the expulsion in anthropological directions, discussions, and ethnographic study. Expulsion signifies the undoing of a normative liberal democratic conceptual apparatus, normative, sorry, um, as the domain of li liberal political practice closes for Indians and we begin to see new repertoires of social and political action emerge. Citizenship becomes unbundled from legal juridical criteria and shifts into performative and moral domains of belonging and identity. Moreover, by framing expulsion as a critical event, I aim to interrogate liberal imaginaries of expulsion that mark it within the domain of a liberalism or the failure of liberal democratic multiracialism or the failure of citizenship in general. Following post-colonial scholars, expulsion is an equally important experiment with decolonization and the emergence of post-liberal democratic norms and practices surrounding citizenship. In effect, the methodological move I make is to shift away from primarily nationalist and liberal framings of Uganda, Uganda Asian history and the expulsion, and to argue for attention to the shifting context of imperialism, sub-imperialism, nation state building, race making, and citizenship. So I'm less interested in thinking about expulsion as an event, as a historical construct that constitutes a rupture, um, or a more sort of conventional historical narrative, 
or even the ways in which it's primarily understood through Ugandan Asian experience, although I think that's very important. I reframe expulsion as a global critical event that lends itself to the study of the possibilities and limitations of liberal nation building and decolonization, but moreover how everyday people imagine those two projects as well. Expulsion as global critical event creates analytical and epistemological space to study the insecurities of expulsion and Afro-Asian entanglements in Uganda and its trans-regional geographies. By positioning Uganda within ongoing circuits of Ugandan Asian and South Asian migration, mobility, labor, and capital, I map local, regional, and trans-regional scales of expulsion afterlives arguing that South Asianness has always been integral to Ugandan society. Expulsion is actually alive and formative in the present and must be understood as a mobile signifier and site of meaning making for multiple actors. So as I mentioned, the insecurities of expulsion is a multidimensional concept. I'll focus here on the performances and practices of citizenship and belonging that have been constituted by the expulsion event. In 72, we came to see the unbundling of abstract liberal notions of citizenship from its content. The formal legal juridical dimensions of citizenship came to be disaggregated from the actual stuff of citizenship, substantive citizenship, membership in a political community, a sense of belonging and inclusion, in this case, national, racial, and cultural belonging. In my book, I signaled this shift from liberal to the post-liberal by building on existing scholarship in the anthropology of citizenship that uses the categories of the non-citizen or non-citizenship to critique the substantive inequities that are often normalized and enshrined through liberal and formal legal juridical notions of citizenship. I use these concepts of the non-citizen and non-citizenship to examine inclusion that as Nehavora notes is both within and through conditions of legal impossibility. As Damani Partridge observes, an analytic of non-citizenship opens up a space for thinking about how the foreign subject is incorporated into social and political life without being totally excluded. So building on Professor Mandani's foundational interventions that decolonization in post-colonial Africa proceeded on the basis of the de-racialization of urban civil society without the attendant dismantling of the broader racialization and nativization processes inscribed by the colonial state across both urban and rural society. I continue to emphasize Indian or uh, Ugandan Asian racial exclusion in the post-colony, especially as it is inscribed in legal categories, artifacts, and state policies. However, it's increasingly important to study the non-citizen incorporation of Ugandan Asian returnees and new South Asian migrants in Uganda, as well as the broader structural forces and um, modalities of governance and sovereignty that make this non-citizen incorporation possible. In fact, post-colonial migrations of Ugandan Asians and South Asians in and out of the nation continued in the post-72 era. Successive governments have shifted from policies of Indian racial expulsion to maintaining racial exclusion and incorporating South Asian heritage subjects as non-citizens in the legal, juridical, racial, and cultural sense. In my research, I examined the complex terrains of non-citizenship that Ugandan Asians and other South Asian migrants are navigating, structurally, formal, formally, 
as in legal juridically, um, but also substantively. At the same time, I'm interested in their incorporation and access to new kinds of substantive entitlements and privileges, especially economic in the post-expulsion context. I argue that this new kind of this non-citizen incorporation offers a view into post-liberal democratic norms of citizenship and belonging in Uganda and East Africa, as well as renewed attention to imperialism and decolonization in this part of the world. So in terms of evidence, I focus on five examples of non-citizen incorporation. First, I study the experiences of stays or those Ugandan Asians who remained in the nation after Idi Amin's expulsion order. I argue that Amin and his government not only perfected the technology of expulsion to remake national citizenship along racially exclusive lines, but that after expulsion, the Amin government also nurtured a political and social context conducive to the racialized denizenship of Ugandan Asian men, despite their status as racial and cultural non-citizens. So this is the first instance where one really begins to see this kind of um, exceptional non-citizen incorporation of um, some Ugandan Asians and other migrants who were coming in during the main regime. I examine the ways in which their subjectivities come to be shaped by their proximity to the state and state bureaucrats and sovereigns and I study their claims to Ugandan and African identity and their performances of belonging and citizenship. Notably in the oral histories and memories of stays, expulsion is not narrated as a rupture, but as a critical event that leads to new practices of sociality, economic and political action in which Ugandan Asians and Indians um, must show respect and deference to African sovereignty and African sovereign leaders. Second, I assess the work of Milton Obote and the Uwari Museveni-led National Resistance Movement Government, or the NRM, as they inaugurated new nation-state building projects and forged relationships with the exiled Ugandan Asian diaspora through state-led repatriation processes. I introduced the terms property repossession without reconciliation, citizenship by invitation, and sovereign authorization to analyze the repatriation of exiles or returnees who were conceptualized as rehabilitated moral and economic citizens in partnership with the NRM to reconstruct the nation in the midst of broader global processes of structural adjustment, uh, liberalization at the national level, and no party democracy. Although returnees are still structurally and formally legal juridically non-citizens, Ugandan post-colonial elites incorporated non-citizen expatriate transnational Ugandan Asians through this new substantive criteria. Nonetheless, the NRM has also maintained racially exclusive notions of African national identity, while many urban Ugandans continue to assert African sovereignty and ra racial nationalism during key moments of national crisis. So um, Professor Asimway mentioned Schedule 3 and that and that is a, a, an important part of the kind of NRM project. In relation to early 1990 state policies, I explore how Ugandan Asian returnees claims and disavows to national citizenship and their performances of citizenship as they became, as they themselves came to be shaped by state and nationalist logics. Third, I examined the work of post-colonial elites at a state agency called the Uganda Investment Authority 
as they labor to recruit foreign direct investment and non-citizen investors from South Asia, especially Indian diasporic elites. <clears throat> I introduced the terms Afro-Asian governance and neoliberal Afro-Asianism to make legible state and late capitalist appropriations of regional histories of Afro-Asian solidarities that are circulating across the global South in this era of South-South cooperation and increasing diplomacy and trade between the Ugandan and Indian nation. I demonstrate how post-colonial elites fashion the Ugandan Asian and new South Asian body politic as investor citizens through moral attachments to South-South or Afro-Asian connection and incorporate them in the nation on the basis of their neoliberal and entrepreneurial identities. Explore, fourth, I explore citizenship practices among a more recent cohort of newcomers, non-citizen Indian middle-class expats and more precarious migrant workers from South Asia. I assess the citizenship practices of community elites in the context of this transnational urban proletariat. I show how elites simultaneously utilize transnational Indian labor but also express anxieties about labor migrants who display global Indian diasporic identities and desires rather than Ugandan nationalist commitments. Community elites wield community and tribal citizenship claims on the state working to attain political and racial security despite their non-citizen status. At the same time, there are new contests around Indian and Asian African community building initiatives. Finally, I examined the plight of non-citizen Indian migrant women who have settled in urban Uganda in the post-expulsion years. I show that community governance has become the new horizon of managing many of these women's life fortunes. And I argue that many um, indigenous Ugandan women activists are making moral claims for non-citizen migrant South Asian women's inclusion in the nation, especially to live free from family and community violence. And I can go into more of this um, later on. So the final contribution of my book, just to wrap this up, um, is that I plan to use this research to argue for the development of an anthropology of Afro-Asian entanglements. As I've labored in my fieldwork in communities and universities over many years, I've struggled with making sense of the ethics and politics and knowledge production and making knowledge work, especially for minoritized communities that are entangled with each other via these difficult and complicated legacies of uh, colonial and post-colonial violence and expulsion, whether in East Africa or in the Western diasporic context. I dwell with many of my discomforts around the post-colonial closure and political repression surrounding expulsion in Uganda today in scholarly work and in the diasporic context that I grew up in. I connect these silences and discomforts to intellectual closures around the study of Afro-Asian encounters in global perspective more broadly to the contemporary university. Following Professor Ngugi Wathiango's call to move the center in our research scholarship and teaching, the conclusion of my book assesses the epistemological limitations of the different fields of study that I've had to navigate in order to develop my research program. I assess the possibilities and limitations of Uganda studies, especially the anthropology of Uganda studies, African studies and African diaspora, Black studies, South Asia diaspora, diaspora studies, and Afro-Asian studies that's typically been framed in the US context. Ultimately, I define Afro-Asian entanglements as the complex material and affective 
temporal and spatial scales of cross-racial violence, interdependency, hierarchy, intimacy, and estrangement that bind Africans and South Asian histories, presents, and futures to each other. I argue that an anthropology of Afro-Asian entanglements displaces frameworks and research paradigms that maintain Africans and South Asians within separate domains of study. Instead, this field creates methodological, conceptual, theoretical, and epistemological tools to study Afro-Asian entanglements in the contemporary university. Potential arenas for focus within this study are the study of imperialisms, nationalism, citizenship, and violence in their ongoing um, nature, the study of race and racial formation, particularly race, religion, and caste, racial capitalism, and there's new work emerging on caste capitalism that's really interesting, gender and feminist approaches to the study of Afro-Asian encounters, state appropriations of South-South cooperation and Afro-Asianism, and the circulation of intellectual and political thought in this region. So I will just end here, um, but I'm looking forward to the conversation and happy to talk later on as well. Thank you.